0: Everybody, welcome into the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with Nick Cattles. No Nick today. He's a man of the earth. I don't know. He's traveling. He, <laughs> he likes to travel. Um, good for Nick. I'm glad he enjoyed Instead, we have Mr. Mike Giardi. Mike, how are we doing? Uh, we're doing well. How are you, Greg? Good. Uh, what's this like uh, end of January? I mean, between the Patriots run and your work, uh, and your work at NFL Network, you must be like, what the hell do i do with myself like what do i do with my hands i don't know
1: <laughs> yeah uh it's been a, it's been a different uh stretch here for sure um it's it's crazy that there's still so many things greg that need to be settled you know like uh we're not used to this at all the last uh, 24 years
0: yeah and and i think we're going to talk a lot about this stuff so this uh, podcast just to let you let everybody know first of all the episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS media network right now new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet and so the the structure of this podcast is pretty much we're going to talk about a few newsy things at the top like we always do and then we're going to go straight to Questions that have been pulled directly from my weekly Friday or Saturday BSJ member chat. And just for our listeners who don't understand, like one of the benefits of BSJ is that you get to ask your questions directly of all the writers, myself, Mike. So you get you get two Patriots mailbags or sort of Q&A's a week. Mike's usually at the beginning of the week. I'm usually at the end of the week. Uh, it might be a little bit different this week, but we'll definitely get to it at some point uh, with the senior bowl coming up. Uh, of course, Haggerty on the Bruins, Corrales on the Celtics, uh, Geth and Kulba on the Red Sox, uh, weekly stuff right there. We're going to start doing draft Q&As with our draft experts sort of working through that Um right now because i don't want grd to work too hard um <laughs> so we'll we'll figure that out but this is the benefit i mean mike and i it's basically an ask me anything and if you want to come in and rip me for something you can rip me um people wonder why i don't tweet more or i don't answer more on twitter well look i already have a forum where people get to to come at me and ask me their questions and say why did you write this and why didn't you write that? And, and it's a place for me to be accountable. Twitter is not, in my mind is not a place for me to be accountable because I already have a vehicle for that. And so, uh, and Twitter doesn't pay me. So um, sorry, (laughs) but if you, if, if you want your chunk of bedard, join up at BSJ and you can, you can get your fill. Um, all the time. It's
1: it's one of my favorite things to do. Like the the Mm -hmm. Q&A every week. Like this week, you know, there was, I want to say, I don't know, 70 questions, 65 questions, and it was – they were largely different. There there wasn't a lot of overlap. It sounded good back and forth. And, you know, like, look, we have have well-established readers who have watched the league for a long time pay attention to the league or paid attention to the Patriots, and every once in a while they even spark like an idea like, hey, maybe I Mm -hmm. should – I wanna explore that further and that's 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 really cool. And yeah, there are a few people that come in there and they throw haymakers and they tell you that you suck and uh, generally I might tell them they suck back, but hey, that's the the that's the give and take.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean it's um yeah, I think it, I think it's one of the real good things about um BSJ is the the Q and A's and the interactions with the members. And, uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, there have been times, especially once we get to the off season and sort of the dead time, when somebody might ask a question, I'll be like, you know what, that's, that's pretty good. That's worth me exploring Mm -hmm. a little bit further. And so, you know, a lot of times the members have direct impact on, on what we do as far as the work. Um, so let's, let's go with a few newsy items. Um, I haven't been on, Uh, Twitter much this morning Um, Mike's more of the morning person at BSJ thank God Um, (laughs) and so from what I understand uh, from what I've gleaned I think Schefter reported today that Belichick is now a long shot for the Falcons what what are you hearing Mike what's being reported and sort of what's your reaction to it
1: so the sense I get from this Greg is that Arthur Blank is probably the one guy in that building that wants bill but the rest of the front office staff that he has in place they're not feeling it and i mean obviously part of that is job security right but he's had rich mckay in place for a long long time and rich is someone that that arthur blank trusts and arthur's not going to blow out rich mckay and it feels like there is a bit of um you know, Belichick saying, I want it structured a certain way. and I don't want to have to answer to Rich McKay. And that sort of feels like part of it. And I think, look, th- some of the questions that, that we've obviously raised here and one of the, you know, some of the reasons that Bill's no longer here, you turn that around and you go interview for a job and say, what the hell happened in the last four years? Or in particular, what happened with the, 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 the first round quarterback who whatever limitations or not as a, as a rookie played pretty well, was better than any other rookie quarterback in that class. And then for it to fall off as badly as it did, like I'm curious to what the answers are to those questions and, and whether or not, you know, Arthur's buying necessarily or the people in the room are buying what Bill's Bill's selling.
0: Yeah. I mean, for sure. This is one of the, the pitfalls. If you're Bill Belichick is, you know, going to these places where, you know, especially you have a rich McKay who, you know, uh, i've I've worked with Rich McKay for a number of years, um, from back when he was sort of a, a GM in, I think, Tampa, and then, you know, he's risen through the ranks with the Falcons, but also, you know, the NFL, and and he's on the comp. He's he's very high up in the competition committee, so we always hear from him at the league meetings. Um, I I think, you know, I I don't think. Bill is as threatened about, uh, you know, McKay. I'm sure I'm sure he doesn't love it, but I think if Bill took a step back, I think it would be fine. He, you're always leery of the guy who's in the owner's suite next to the owner whispering in his ear, no matter where you <clears> go. <throat> and that, that guy is Rich McKay with the Falcons. Um, so I'm sure that's a worry. Fontenot, the GM, how would that all work? Um, if I were Bill, I would not be picky. Um, but, you know then again, that's Bill. Um, A side topic to that. Well, I don't know. They're somewhat related. Um, What's sort of the latest on the Patriots coordinator search and what do you think is going on?
1: Yeah, it feels like the there needs to be a little bit more urgency with the OC uh, search. You know, we've only heard a few names and that doesn't look as we've done this for a long time. some some of those things will pop out later. Uh, certain relationships with agents, different people will get fed that information at times. Um, but it, it 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 feels like, by and large, what they're trying to do is shift gears here a little bit, um, and I think they've got to widen the search. I think there needs to be more names involved in this uh, in this process. And obviously, you know, pitchers off the board, and and I didn't think that he would leave Cincinnati, Greg. But you do have the option of, you don't call the plays there. You're not going to call the plays there. Zach Taylor, that's mm-hmm. what Zach is. You're going to design everything. You're going to put in all these different packages. But on game day, you're the eyes upstairs. It's going to be Zach calling the plays. And and that's a big push, you know, obviously for for guys like that that don't get to do it. I think Zach Robinson's kind of in the same position with with the Rams that sh- Sean's calling the plays there. Um, and you'd think there'd be some appeal to that. And so now I wonder if, as we continue to sort of, this draws out a little bit, even though I say it draws out. It's been five, six days since Bill O'Brien left. Is what's the vision from Gerard and people in the building, and is that being met with sort of a hmm, I don't, yeah, I don't know if I'm totally buying what you're trying to sell here, and that, that part of me is wondering about that, Greg, as we sort of progress here.
0: Yeah, I mean, what's interesting about. Uh, sort of these guys, whether it's Dan Pitcher and, with the Bengals, or even you know, I guess I guess the next most desirable name on the list at the Patriots that of known interviews is Zach Robinson, the passing game coordinator with the Rams. And you would think going someplace else and being in charge of the room and calling the plays would be advantageous, um, but you look at the history, especially with McVay, and that hasn't been the case. I mean, Zach, Zach Taylor. Matt LaFleur went to Tennessee for a year, sort of like a middling offensive coordinator, and then got the the head job with the Packers. So that was mostly from being connected to McVay. Uh, Staley was the defensive coordinator for the Rams. Uh, Jed Fish was there. Kevin O'Connell rose to the ranks with the Rams. So those guys, it's amazing. You're, You're right. Most places... You would need to somebody to see that you're calling the plays and you're game planning and you're doing this before you get a head job. But that hasn't been the case, um, you know, with McVeigh and and actually, you know, some of the Shanahan trees. And I find it interesting that everybody everybody thinks because she, because McVeigh got the head job before Kyle Shanahan that McVeigh that Shanahan's more of a disciple of McVeigh. It's actually the opposite. Like the, all these guys learned under kyle shanahan whether it was in washington or atlanta or you know what have you so i I think like if you're zach robinson there could come a time where he gets offered one of these jobs whether it's the patriots or somebody else where you're just like well is that really a good situation for me or should i just stay put and i could be the next zach taylor or uh kevin o'connell or or what have you so i I think that's a interesting, interesting dynamic. Don't you, Mike?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Even with pitcher, right? Like Callahan is now the head coach of the, the, the Tennessee Titans and the same thing. He was the OC there and rave reviews when I covered Cincinnati about the job that he did there, but didn't call the place. And it, didn't hurt him one bit. He's got, he's a, he's got a head coach. He's going to be making more money than he knows what to do with. And will be set for life, whether he succeeds or fails at this gig. And so, you know, pitchers probably looking at it like, I like the system I'm in. I like the place that I'm in. I get to coach Joe Burrow, Um, you know, I, and, and, you know, for, for his resume, also the job that he did with, with Jake Browning, he and Callahan able to get Browning up to speed and be a, a, a pretty good fill in, um, and keep them in the playoff mix until the very end is it says a lot about those guys. And I think they look at it now and say like, yeah, it's, would it be great to call plays? Sure. But I'm in a really good situation and I just saw in pitchers case, I just saw the guy who was ahead of me get a head coaching job. I do this for a year or two. We're probably going to have success with Joe Burrow. I'm probably going to be in the same position Callahan was, uh, you know, this year.
0: Yeah. Uh, one thing with the Patriots search, and, and you know, the longer this goes on, and I know some people are getting panicky, and I understand it, and, it, and it's certainly not ideal, but the NFL has changed the calendar as far as hiring. Mm-hmm. hiring. It always used to be back in the day that the Senior Bowl was sort of the line of demarcation for getting your staff together. I mean – The Patriots are way far away from that. Uh, You know, I I don't think the chances are great that Gerard Mayo's at the Senior Bowl. Um, You know, what you do get at the Senior Bowl for people that don't know, and I will admit it's been a few years since since I've been there. Um, I used to go all the time when I covered the Dolphins and even the Packers at times. Um, you know, when they were going to the playoffs, you had a lot of time in the off season. And so mm-hmm. we, that, that's what you did instead of uh, covering playoff games like people are used to here with the Patriots, you would go to the senior bowl. And, and you know, not only do you have the personnel and some of the coaching staffs, there evaluating the players on the field. Now, some of them are coaching them like Troy Brown's going to be coaching the wide receivers for one of the teams this week. Um, but it's really sort of a job fair, like basically every out of work assistant who's looking for work is there trying to get in front of a head coach or coordinator. And a lot of times those guys stay away. And plus there's, there's often, it's easier to get work done in the building. I would anticipate the Patriots just sending the personnel um, groupings, maybe a few positional coaches here and there, um, even though I'm not sure, who's even on the staff at this point, uh, probably DeMarcus Covington, we can be assured that probably has a job here. Everybody else is up in the air, uh, but it's, it's a big job market at the Senior Bowl in Mobile. And that's uh, that can be kind of annoying if you're a newly minted head coach and everybody's coming up to you and 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 want to know your situation. Um, but what I wanted to say about, I think there's, if you're the Patriots and it's coming down to this, And they're going to have to make headway. Um, I know a name that has been brought up a little bit more in the past few days. I think Jeff Howe said something at some point about Josh McDaniels. Um, You know, first, I just want to say that I think at the end of the day, um, whether it's Josh McDaniels or not, and we'll get into that in a second, I think Robert Kraft is somebody who prides himself on. Being persuasive in making deals, he's not afraid to throw money at things if he has to get things done. And I think at the end of the day, if Gerard says I want X to be my offensive coordinator, say Zach Robinson, then I think Kraft is going to get involved. And this, is, I'm not bringing this up as a as a bad thing. He's a deal maker. He can be persuasive. He's good at this. That's not Gerard played football. He had an agent. He doesn't broker deals. That's not what he does. And so I think Kraft. To me, Kraft is going to have to get involved. If Mayo, if he even has a vision for the offense, if it's one of Shanahan or McVay or what have you, I think Kraft is going to have to get involved. I think he's going to have to open up the checkbook. If I'm this offensive coordinator, I want to hear, I get to pick my own staff. I have heavy influence on the draft pick, including what happens at quarterback uh, and all that stuff. And I think, I think that's, if that doesn't happen, I think the Patriots are going to have trouble. Now, on McDaniels, I would still put the odds. I'm not going to rule anything out. I'm never going to do that. I, just like with Bill O'Brien, and I said I thought the odds were long that he would be back as offensive coordinator, I'm going to say the same, same thing about Josh McDaniels um, for a couple of different reasons. Um, number one, yes, there's the whole specter of Bill in Atlanta, I think there's a lot of things that are waiting on that. I think even the Patriots are waiting to see, does bill Mm -hmm. get the Atlanta job who goes with him, who doesn't and and whatnot. Um, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I don't think it's a sure thing that, that Josh McDaniels would go to bill with Atlanta. I think he'd have to hear some things from bill about, you know, what's going on at quarterback. Um, what's the draft going to look like? Do I get to hire my own staff? Um, you know, that sort of stuff. I think that when it comes to the Patriots, I think that he would listen to the crafts. Um, and it wouldn't just be Josh Tomeo, I don't think. I think I think if the Patriots have a chance, if, if the Patriots have an idea that Josh McDaniel is sort of our fallback, that he's local, he's getting paid by the Raiders, like he's sort of our fallback then I think that the Crafts also are going to have to get heavily involved. There's going to have to be sort of a structuring about, you know, who McDaniels reports to, does he get to hire his own staff? What kind of input does he have on personnel? Like all that. I don't totally rule that out, but I still think the odds are pretty long, but I do think that they, there will be a conversation at some point to see if that's viable. But here, here, here's the bigger thing, Mike, is if you're Josh McDaniels, and I know people are going to laugh at this and they're going to scoff at it, but if you, if you have it in your mind that you do still want to be an NFL head coach at some point down the line, what's the best thing for you going forward? Is it going back to New England, running your same offense? There's a lot of stench around everything Belichick and the Patriots right now. Going with Bill to Atlanta to an uncertain future is bill going to be an open book about what he's going to do a quarterback. And, you know, do you trust him to follow through on those things after looking the way he's drafted in recent years, especially just look at last year with the first three picks on defense Um, or do you take a year off, even if bill, whether bill takes the job or not, or do you take some time and go around the league and spend time with Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Maybe go to uh Ohio State with Billy O'Brien and Ryan Day, see what's going on there, sort of study what's going on around the league, maybe retrofit some of the stuff that you do, and then be ready to consider an opening a year from now, whether that's Bill or somebody else. I, I think those are the things that you have to that you have to grapple with.
1: Yeah, two two things on that. I, I think that's actually the best idea for Josh is to sort of take a step back. I know he, he he had half this year to, to do that, but, like, take the step back, go around the league. Yeah, spend time with McVay, spend time with Shanahan. Um, we both agree that Josh is a really smart um, guy, very bright offensive mind. Like, look, if Josh ended up back here, even though I, I want them to sort of lose the Earhart Perkins system and, and sort of embrace what's happening around the league, I'd still feel pretty good about the offense because I I think he would get it to produce at a much higher level than it did this year. And the other thing that you said there, you know, about the crafts getting involved and who does Josh answer to? Um, if I'm Gerard, I don't want that. Yeah, like I know that I know there's a past relationship with 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 Josh and and the crafts. I know that they they value Josh, and if I'm Gerard and I'm trying to establish my own program, myself, what this is going to be. And as he made clear a number of times in his opening press conference about he's not Bill, uh, I think this is just another way that that would be uh, You still have some of that that tie to Bill that I don't think he wants. So uh, look, if they, like I said, if they wash out with all their selections and they look at it and say, "Well, so the best guy on the board left is Josh. And, you know, like if we want to, be somewhat successful this year. That's something we have to do. Then I guess you'd have to consider it. But I think that should be kind of at the back end of the of the list of things to do for Gerard in terms of who we'd want to bring aboard. I just don't doesn't feel like it makes a lot of sense to me for from Gerard's perspective.
0: Yeah, I I, I would agree with that. Um, we will be back in one second. The NFL regular season is wrapping up, but there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. The app is super easy to use. I use it all the time. Love it. There are so many different ways to bet, like live same-game parlays. Find bets in the new Explore tab. Make a parlay in the Parlay Hub. The best ways to find popular parlays. I love those parlays. That's the way to go. And more. So visit fanduel.com boston and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL, must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas City under an agreement with Kansas City Star Casino LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued at non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777, or visit cpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com com In Kansas, 1 877 770 Stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1 800 Gambler in West Virginia or call 1 800 522 4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 1 800 327 5050 for 24 7 support in Massachusetts or call 1 877 8 Hope NY or text Hope NY in New York. Okay, coming back, going through, going to try to do somewhat rapid fire, but I'm not very rapid as you could just see uh, the soliloquy that I just had. <laughs> um, but we're going to go with BSJ members' <laughs> qu- questions right now. Uh, this one's from we'll we'll sort of uh, t- we'll sort of take turns going first. Uh, I'm going to give this one to you first. This is from Dylan two one four six. Based on your experience covering other transitions. And what you've seen so far, and just based on your instinct, is Mayo year one going to quote-unquote work? And let's define work as a 10-win season and in contention for the playoffs until at least week 17. Side note, my wife asked me to ask this question. She's skeptical.
1: <laughs> uh, I am skeptical as well. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you're setting the bar at 10 wins, I mean... It's hard for me, especially at this point, where we're, we really have no idea what the offense is going to look like. Who's calling it? Who's the quarterback? What, what are the pieces that are involved? Who's playing tackle for you? Um, I, I, I don't see that. I do believe, though, Greg, that and we can debate the free agent class and all that. They, they have to spend money to get to the floor, and I think the crafts will want to spend money beyond that because I think they want to make sure that Gerard's not four and thirteen. So. From that perspective, I could see seven, eight wins, but 10 seems like a, a a big time stretch for me. Everything would have to go perfectly and you'd have to find that next CJ Stroud in the draft.
0: Right. And, and, you know, I agree. And I think that, um, you know, one thing that people underrate and maybe they look at some of the recent teams like the Houston Texans, for example, with D'Amico Ryan's going in there, um, you know, if they come in and they run a new system and and say they run it with a bulk of the players that are here. I mean, look, they gave a, they gave an extension to Devonte Parker. Mm-hmm. They signed Juju Smith Schuster to a multi-year deal. I don't think those guys are going anywhere for a while. I mean, maybe something happens in camp when you trade them, but I don't think you could just lop them off the roster. Now I haven't looked at the salary cap and all that. Um, not that, that that that's a big deal. And I am hoping and praying that, this Patriots regime is much more liberal when it comes to the salary cap and accounting and pushing cap space in the future years and not being afraid of dead money and things like that, that every other team in the league has used that has passed you, but the Patriots are back. You know, it's basically like, you know, they're using like, you know, a tablet and uh, and a rock to write on in terms <laughs> of their salary cap management. Uh-huh. So I don't think that you're totally beholden to that, but, you know, for example, I'm sure there's a lot of Patriots fans who are out there and they, they look at the Houston Texans and they say, why can't that be us? Why can't you go from having a very high pick in the draft, taking the right quarterback in CJ Stroud and making the playoffs and winning a playoff game? You know, under a former player, defensive head coach, why can't that be us? And And I'm not going to totally rule that out, but I think people underestimate that You know, that wasn't a one year rebuild for the Houston Texans like Nick Casario had been doing work for a while on that roster. I mean, they have Laramie Tunsil, you know, who's one of the best, if not the best left tackle in the game. You know, Kenyon Green at left guard, solid guy, first round draft pick in 22. They drafted a center in the second round this year. Juice Scruggs, who's a good player, traded for Shaq Mason old friend Shaq Mason, who uh, can kind of play still. How about that? Um, You know, Nico Collins was a third-round pick in 21. Like, it wasn't like they just implanted all these guys and voila, they're in the playoffs. Like, you can't can't do that. And, like, I I just think that the Patriots are starting off at a much worse point. Now, I'm sure their defense will be fine. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and and again – you know, maybe maybe uh, Christian Gonzalez is their Derek Stingley Jr. You know, but they also had Pittry and you know other guys, and they 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 signed some really good like mid mid level free agents like a Sheldon Rankins, and they drafted you know Will Anderson, uh, you know. So you know the point is is that I just think that the Patriots are starting at a much bigger deficit than the Houston Texans uh, did, and I don't know if you agree or not with that, Mike.
1: No, one hundred percent, and also we can't forget they had Deshaun Watson who didn't want to play for them before all the stuff happened with Deshaun Watson off the field and they turned around and spun him for a massive haul <laughs> there's not one player on the Patriots that can equal the massive haul that they got for Deshaun Watson so not only did they set themselves up for now but also in future years as well with some of the picks so like that's that's massive it gives you the opportunity if you're Nick Cassario and you come from sort of the tree of like, well, maybe in the second round, this guy's a first round talent, but the production doesn't always match. We can roll the dice on things like that. Where if you're the Patriots now and you're looking at it going, we need players. We can't like, you can't, you can't take a second round pick at 34 and screw it up for 35, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. You can't, you you need that guy to be able to come in and play for you right away based on uh, the, the talent level that you have in the building, which again, it's just not, it's, it's not very good. It's, you know, it's hard for, you can look at the defense and some of the numbers, but like overall, there there needs to be a major, major overall. And, and you need blue chip players in here and you don't have very many of them.
0: Yeah. Speaking of that, um, it just came to my mind. Like, you know, would you, where the Patriots are right now, um, would you entertain what the dolphins got for the third overall pick and the Trey Lance pick that, that year? Which was would they get uh, two two additional first round picks and a third round pick for the number three pick in the draft? They moved down to uh, I think twelve in that draft. Would you entertain that?
1: So for me, Greg, unless i feel good about one of the what what I think are the second tier of quarterbacks, which you know, which would be mm-hmm. Nick's, Penix. JJ McCarthy although as as I've started to different of taking my toes into the JJ McCarthy waters I'm not I, I'm I'm not feeling it very much but there's still more tape to watch on him uh unless I felt really good about one of those guys I don't think I would do it because I think getting if I'm going to move back I don't want to move back much more than like say six like I want to be in that tier where I think I think there's a I don't want to say there's a drop-off because, again, it's very early in the process. But where I sort of stagger it right now, the the further back you go, I think it's more of a dice roll. I think you might lose out on either one of the tackles if that's the decision you decide to make. I think you lose out on the two top receivers if you decide to slide back into the 12 area. That's not something I want to do. Again, I think even though there is a need for talent – I'm I'm tired of the this guy's 88 percent of the the guy that we could pick here and if we get that and then we get another guy in the third round that we're adding because we didn't have the pick because we made the trade then maybe that guy hits no 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 I think it's time to uh, if this is the best guy on your board and he is clearly rated as the best guy on your board don't don't tell me the second or third guy is a facsimile of and can be close no just give me the best guy they've for too long that they've done that now and I think it's again part of why the roster looks the way it does.
0: Yeah, and and I agree with you. I mean, being this high, third overall pick, there's three pretty, pretty good quarterback prospects. I, I I trust the grading and I trust the board. And I also, I'll tell you this, I also trust Elliot Wolf on this from his days with the Packers, um, his father, uh, his time in Cleveland. Um, I think Elliot Wolf is really good. And um, I've long had a lot of respect for him. And and, um, I hope if the Patriots aren't going to bring somebody else in from the outside, I hope it's him driving the bus because I think he's he's really good. And, you know, look, macro has his strengths. Um, Pat Stewart, I think, is is excellent, who uh, I'm hoping will stay on, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, has been around, came uh, did a lot of time with the Eagles, the Panthers, of course, all that, all that experience outside the building is really good this time of year. Uh, Next question. SM McDonald 555, based on – oh, wait. I think – oh, yeah, that is the next one. Based on what we've seen from Mayo's first two weeks on the job, what should be the most encouraging things to Pats fans and what should be the most concerning? I'll field this one first. Um, The most encouraging thing. I would say – His openness, transparency. Now I'm not saying that as a media member and I'm not saying that's something I hated bill for or anything like that. Like I I, I've covered, this is going to be the seventh different coach I've covered in the league up close. I don't really care how they do their job. Um, I don't care how they are with the media. Um, It doesn't really affect the way I do my job. Um, You know, I just think it's refreshing because I think that will translate in the locker room and to hopefully the people on staff. I hope he is as open and blunt and direct and accountable to the players as he is to us. If he does that, I think that's a great sign. I think that was a blind spot for Bill uh, at times, a big blind spot for Bill at times. I think Mayo's emotional intelligence is good. I don't know if I need all the touchy feely stuff and about how to. Re- you got 53 guys in your roster, and you got you know another 16 on the practice squad. It's tough to get in front of every single person on the roster and know what makes them tick and things like that. That's why you have position players, uh, positional coaches, for to understand their room and to understand what makes them tick. That's not the job of a head coach, but I think his openness and bluntness, I think would will serve him well in the locker room, especially dealing with players. Uh, what's the most concerning thing for me is that he doesn't really have a plan. He doesn't really have a vision for what he wants. And we've sort of talked about this before. Um, I've certainly written about it before, but um, you know, just read my column comparing and contrasting what Mike Vrabel, D'Amico Ryans, and Dan Campbell had to say in their opening press conferences to what Gerard said. And I think it's Pretty apparent if you look at it. Now, I will defend Gerard and say those guys had the benefit of interviewing. And when you go in and interview with these teams, you go in with a humongous binder that has been that your agent has helped prepare for you that addresses everything. It lays out your complete vision, who you're going to staff, all that stuff. The problem with the Patriots, with the Crafts anointing him the successor when they did, he hasn't interviewed in two years. And I don't think the crafts were really sitting down with them this year and be like, "All right, Gerard, so what's your plan for us going forward?" I don't think any of that stuff's going on. So if it's to me, it's very hard if you don't have that vision, if you don't know what your offense wants to look like, if you don't know how you want to you, you want to tweak your, the defense, if you don't know exactly what you want with staffing, it's kind of hard to formulate those things in the fly. So uh, that 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 has me concerned.
1: For me, the the positive is keeping the best coach. On the staff in the building, and likely, I think we both believe, barring a major Good upset, one. Demarcus Covington is the DC. That to me is, you know, and look, I, I have, even though it didn't go well, and uh, Bill O'Brien, I have great respect for Bill O'Brien, but in terms of that, that didn't feel like it was coming back for a second year anyway. So when I look at this, Demarcus being here shares sort of the vision. I think that 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 Gerard has will help him get that across the board. I think he is a, a, like Gerard, kind of a leader of men. I think he commands the room when he talks to him. And I think just based on the last couple of years, what's been the best position group on the Patriots? Where have you seen some of the improvement on the Patriots? Like your Barmore Godshot, like that's been a very solid, able to get, you know, still get stuff out of Lawrence guy at 34 or whatever. Like, I think he's done a terrific job. And to me, that's the big thing, having him here, I share your thoughts on the, what concerns me is the lack of vision offensively and like, look, I don't expect him to give away trade secrets, but it, it really does feel like over and over again that they are still flushing it out. And I don't know, like to your point, like maybe they didn't talk about it, but if you're Gerard and you knew that this was coming – Maybe you thought it was next year, but it, that it was coming that I would think that you would have hammered some sort of like, hey, look, man, we play against this offense and it it just we, we have a hard time stopping whatever. This this we can't deal with Th- these two teams, this this scheme, this the, how teams attack us this way has been a, been a, an Achilles heel for us. And I would think like, OK, well, I know that we're pretty good defensively. Well, that's something I'd want. I think he would be able to express that in some way, shape or form and that he didn't makes me feel like he's still not totally sure. Even, even the Nick Caley, who I think is a terrific coach and I think he got screwed. I think he should have been promoted. They didn't, they didn't promote him. Um, but that's okay. That's, he grew up here. He grew up under Josh. That's he, I know he spent one year with Sean McVay, but don't tell me that guy after one year with Sean McVay is going to come in a year and he's going to be fluent in Sean McVay and that offense. No, he's more fluent in, it's what he grew up in. He grew up with the McDaniels thing. So like that concerns me a little bit. Like if you're going that way, uh, then I don't think you're all the way in and making that, that change. And again, what, if that's what they feel is right, then, then who am I to judge? We'll, we'll you know, we'll judge when, when they get on the field and we start to see how the pieces get put together, but that, that does bother me a little bit for sure.
0: Yeah. I think my, my overreaching concern about Gerard Mayo and if his tenure doesn't work, it's it's because and and this isn't uh, an indictment on Gerard because, you know, he, he's young. He 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 doesn't know what he doesn't know. But my fear is that he's the prototypical guy who just wanted the job, wanted the job and that's what he was consumed with instead of making sure that he was ready for the job when he got the job and i think that's the fear of some people that have worked with him that um, and we've seen it all we've seen it in all our businesses the person that you know decided to skip a few steps because they or you know and talked to the right people because they just wanted that job and that's all they were consumed with and, and you know you could say that about like you know i'm sure if you talked to josh mcdaniels today and and you asked him about denver he will tell you, I wasn't ready for that. Like, I thought I was ready, but I wasn't yep. ready for that. And they were, they're of similar ages when they got those jobs. And so, and similar backgrounds in terms of just being with the Patriots. So, that's my overarching thing. Uh, next question. And we'll start with Mike here. Packers Boy says, This is starting to feel like a cleaning out of BB's past systems, coaches, et cetera, for an entirely new way of running a franchise, a modernization of operations. Could this also be the reasons that, Teams are at this moment shying away from Bill.
1: That's a a good question. Well, look again, and people have a hard time separating this when we talked about it. uh, You know, all the rings and all the success. That was five years ago now, and what what's happened since is you've had three losing seasons out of the last four. Um, and the one season that you had the winning season, you had a seven game stretch in the middle of it. And I can't, you can't take it away from them. They made the playoffs and then they got stopped by 30 points by the Bills. Uh, and you could even go back further in Brady's last year, the way that team was structured. And obviously after the eight, no start, the way they finished four and five, losing a big week 17 game at home where they could have had the first round bye to Miami, to Brian Flores, to Brian Fitzpatrick, to Mike Gasicki and Devontae Parker. Um, And then again, losing to, to Ryan Tannehill at home in the playoffs. Um, Like that's recent history is just not kind to Bill. He's a losing coach. Like we, we said it during the course of the season when we kept talking about it and being like, look, man, any other coach when you were two and 10 would have been popped. They bill got the benefit of the doubt or even not even necessarily the benefit of the doubt, but just the crafts didn't want to do him in that way but any other coach was gone. They might've been gone at two and seven. They might've been gone after the back-to-back losses early in the season to Dallas and to the saints, the way they got beat that badly. I mean, that was a massive disconnect there. So yeah, when he's going into, well, he's only been in one room that we know of, but when he's going into those rooms and trying to sell like the idea of this is what I do. uh, Okay. Then how do you explain the last four and a half years? That's how do you, how do you explain what, what happened to your young quarterback? Those are all difficult things that I don't, I mean, he can turn around, and point the finger at somebody else, but OK, then you're blaming someone else and you're not willing to take responsibility for it. I, don't, I just yeah, I I think that there is a little bit of the, the the blooms off the rose.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll just say that the information that we have at our at our hands in terms of everything and like Bill O'Brien going to Ohio State, which I understand was. I don't think either side wanted to go forward. I don't think they had any interest and I think there was a face-off on the contract and one way around that for O'Brien, where the Patriots still have to pay him is to go to the college game and they couldn't, they couldn't keep him from going to the college game. You know, if he went to, you know, an NFL with Bill, um, you could get into, they could refuse, they could say, well, you know, you you need to quit so we don't have to pay the contract. So I, and you know, you look at other things like, um, you know, for example, and, and, I'm going to group in this next question with this from Heath five eight seven eight. What does Robin Glazer actually do for the Patriots? Um, you know, if you were really interested in Bear uh, uh, Gerard hitting the ground running, why wouldn't you keep Bears Nigerian Belichick's aide to camp? You know, who's really an administrator for Belichick um, and you know henchman with the media and things like that <laughs> in, in, in the locker room, but. Yes. You know, he knows, all, he, knows, he knows everything. He knows what to do. He knows the lay of the land. He knows all the schedules. He knows compliance. He knows the NFL rule book like the back of his hand. Why wouldn't you just keep him on, at least in the interim, while you're figuring stuff out? But I think, to me, it's clear that they are airing the place of Belichick's remnants. And, I, you know, I, I, I don't think many of those guys are going to survive. Why that is? I'm not sure. I think it's more on the craft side. I think they just want a kinder, gentle, gentler Patriots organization. They just want to start fresh and they want their team back and they got their guy in charge that they can sort of maneuver and manipulate when they want to um, and have input when they want to. Um, and about about modernization of operations, um yeah, I think I think that some some teams will look at Bill and just say that he's a he's remnants of a bygone era in the NFL and it doesn't quite work anymore. And uh but as far as Robin Glazer, you know, from what I understand she's there for like compliance. I think she's also there as sort of Jonathan Kraft's eyes and ears to keep to just so Jonathan knows what's going on and not any sort of intruding or anything like that, but just so um that that, as long as Gerard's doing the right things and not making missteps i mean when when you get in a position like this, all of a sudden, like you have to be h r compliant, you can't say the wrong things, like you know Gerard doesn't know any of that stuff, I don't expect him to know any of that stuff, and so there's a lot of you know pitfalls and 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 things like that that he could fall into, but I do think that um. You know, I, I think that Robin Glazer is a valuable member of the organization, but I think there are other people who could do that that maybe wouldn't look like they're just doing the bidding of ownership, but this is their organization. This is the way they aligned it. What do you think Glazer's doing for Mayo and the team right now?
1: Well, if I'm the Patriots, I, I'm hoping that we don't have to, t- like, I'm hoping that we, the radio, different people, that she is, it's not something we talk about. I think I, I I want her to be behind the scenes. I don't want to hear stories about uh influencing this, that, or the other thing. I think to your point, I think it's let's make sure that everything is compliant and we're doing it the right way. But I just I have my radar up a little bit just because I think this is even though she's done a lot of things for them organizationally over the years, this is a different role for her as well. And I'm just kind of curious to see how it plays out. But if I'm, like I said, if I'm the crafts, I'm hoping that we don't have, you don't have any need to mention Robin Glaser's name going forward. That It's just what she does in the background. And that's, that's where it's going to stay.
0: Let's take a break and we'll be back in a second. All right. A couple more. We'll wrap up here. Um, Past Sham says, Greg, you mentioned in your list of males to do's after he picks O.C. and D.C., he should allow them to pick their staff. Is that the norm? Also, best guess who ends up running the board on draft night? Wolf. Um, I'm trying to think back. Uh, I, I think that that is. That's usually the norm. Um, certainly the head coach has input, but when it comes to hiring an offensive coordinator, especially if they don't have any background in that system, if you're a defensive head coach, like what the hell do you know about what techniques need to be taught on the offensive line? Like don't get into these the stupid stuff with like, you know, Bill Belichick having Matt Patricia as offensive line coach and offensive coordinator, um, <laughs> d- you know, don't get into bringing in Bill O'Brien, but then hiring Adrian Clem, who has no background with like, like the offensive coordinator uh, position is huge, but the offensive line is the the next biggest. And those guys have to be in concert. And it depends on how the system, like for example, the Patriots system, O'Brien McDaniels, uh, the offensive coordinator works in concert with the offensive line coach in terms of, they basically are like, here's the, here's the running concepts. Here's the passing concepts that we want to use in this game plan. And he gives them a blank sheet. And the offensive line coach, like Dante Scarnecchia, has to go in there and drop all the blocking assignments for what the offensive coordinator wants to run that week against that opponent. How are we going to handle J.J. Watt? Like, you know, all that stuff. So, to me, if you're not allowing the offensive coordinator to pick his staff, especially um, offensive line coach, and as we've seen in later years with the Patriots, the receivers, including, you know, how they want them to be coached, things fall apart rapidly. And look like shit and so that is usually the norm and my best guess on who's running the board on draft night i think it's going to be wolf but i don't know that mike what do you have to say
1: i smell a quote-unquote collaboration on draft night which concerns me Oof. who has the stronger opinions but i look the matt's been pretty heavily involved with the scouting cameron williams does the college scouting for them uh i i, I don't again i not real this has become the buzzword in the NFL like this year in particular Greg like every one of these jobs collaboration Telesco and Pierce it's got to be a collaboration Callahan and Carthon it's got to be a collaboration okay but at some point someone's going to have to make the decision and we still don't know who's making the decision so I'm I'm a little um again that's sort of a, something that I have my eye on uh if With the coaching staff, obviously, to your point, the offensive line coach is massive, whoever that hire is going to be. I don't think that Adrian will be back, nor do you, I think. I'm not putting words in your mouth. I I think that's sort of what I picked up from you. Um, But in general, both guys better be able to pick their DCOC. And look, if Gerard says, hey, um, Vinny Sanceri is a really good running backs coach. Zach Robinson, if you're the hire You know, I'd really – can you consider keeping him on? Or uh, DeMarcus, you know, I know maybe you and -and so-and-so have had – you've kind of butted heads at times, but he does a great job. Brian Belichick does a great job with our safeties. I'd like Brian back. You know, could like let's try to make that happen and make that work. And, um, you know, they even have a couple guys like – I was just writing a thing about doing the – rating the free agents from 24 to 1 on on the Patriots roster. And James Ferentz is someone like – James. Basically, he's been a coach for the last two years. And if you talk mm-hmm. to some of the younger offensive linemen, and the, of which they had multiples this year, and and even Cole Strange last year, they give a lot of credit to Ferentz. And I'm not saying Ferentz is the offensive line coach, but but oh, maybe he's someone. Hey, Zach, let's let's think about keeping James as the assistant offensive line coach. He did an awesome job. Has good relationships with these guys. Um, you know, they they speak highly of him, and obviously those could be some core pieces for us going forward. So let's try to keep some continuity and a voice that they know, or at least a voice that can translate whoever the new offensive coordinator and offensive line coach is to, to some of the younger players and how they've been taught in their first year or two with the Patriots.
0: Uh, two final questions here. Vikings six, 61, the draft gurus have Williams, May, and Daniels, 1, 2, 3, in that order. If the Patriots had the pick of any of those three, who do you think they should pick? Also, is there a huge drop-off to the next three of Penix, Nix, and McCarthy – Finally, this, I guess, is a three-part question. This is the Dan Roach of uh, BSJ yes. member questions. <laughs> that was like four questions,
1: Roachie. Can oh, my you, god, can you one? Yeah, He's like, I don't even remember the first one. Come on.
0: Yeah. And finally, do you think the Patriots should sign a solid veteran, e.g. Cousins or Mayfield? Um, that's a little better, better than solid veteran. And pick a developmental yes. quarterback in the later rounds. I'm going to toss that to you first, since you've been doing a little homework on the quarterbacks.
1: So look, if it's if it comes down to the three guys, Caleb is the the he's the most talented of the group and I know there's the crying thing and I know his dad's a bit of a handful, but like certain things take root on social media and then they just take off. The idea that he wants to part ownership of the team. Like that was debunked back when that came out, I think, in the spring mm-hmm. of last year. So like just leave it be. That's nonsensical talk. He's not thinking in that way. Um and he, look, I, I want to say I've watched six games of Caleb, and six of Drake, and I'm f- I'm four in on Daniels now. The the one thing I'll say, and this has been a criticism, and I was actually debating this with Phil Perry. It's like, well, yeah, Daniels is the guy. Like I like all three of them. But he was knocking Williams in May, and I've heard other people do this. Well, they didn't have great years. They didn't really win this year, you know, to the level that that they were expected to. And I would say in Caleb Williams' case, they were giving up 50 points a game. Like, that was a wretched defense. They fired the defense coordinator in season, which I don't know how you can have this much talent and be that bad, but they were. Um, and I think Caleb got into some bad habits, and I think Drake – even more so with North Carolina, because I think North Carolina didn't have a lot of talent at all, not certainly not comparable to USC's. And I think both guys got into situations, Greg, where they felt like if we don't score fifty-one, we're not winning. So instead mm-hmm. of taking the three yard check down, which is the right play to make in this situation, you know what? I'm gonna try to buy a little extra time and I'm gonna I'm throwing the nine route or I'm throwing the post or I'm going to scramble around and I might throw off the back foot, cross body, Mac Jones style. Both those guys have significantly better arms, by the way, Um, and try to make something happen. And I think you can't – I'll go back to a perfect example of this, and I didn't love him coming out because I was concerned about the things that went on when he played at Texas Tech, and that was Patrick Mahomes. His mechanics got screwy. He, he, He constantly was pushing the ball down the field. And then you go back and you think about it. And what happened was they were giving up 55 a game. He had to score 56. That was his mindset every single week that they played. And then he got into a system where they said, we know what happened to you. And we can correct this with a few modifications. And I'm not saying any of these guys are Pat Mahomes, but I'm just saying like, it's easy to lose sight of what's going on around them. These guys are all trying to win. They're not thinking about, most of them aren't thinking about, the draft pick they're thinking about in that moment, I'm trying to beat UCLA, Washington, Oregon, Clemson. And how do I do it? And in, in their cases, they looked around and were like, we're not that good. I got to try to do more. And it, it led to some problems. Daniels was the one that had at least around him offensively, the best group I thought. And he ended up having individually the best year, but I, I would say Caleb is first for me. I would say, I'm kind of in the moment now where I feel like Jaden's a little bit ahead of Drake. Um, but like I said, there's still, there's still plenty more work to be done on, on all three of those guys. Uh, what else do we have? See, I Uh, already lost two and three. um, Oh, I I will say this. Like, look, if, if you're going, first of all, you know, I don't think you're getting cousins or Mayfield. I don't think Mayfield gets out of the building in Tampa. I'm not sure that cousins gets out of the building in Minnesota. I think Minnesota just went through a situation where, uh, you know, they, they, Nick Mullins and Dobbs and who else today they? hall, the kid from BYU. They might look at the market and say, we're not going to get one of the top quarterbacks. Let's franchise Kirk. Let's run it back for another year. We draft a quarterback in the second or third round as a developmental guy. And we try that out. So I don't think you're going to get those guys. But if you're going to tell me you're going to pass on a quarterback early and take the next tier. And I think all three of those guys to me are second round type guys. Uh, but yes, we know quarterbacks tend to get overdrafted. So it wouldn't surprise me if one or two of them end up slipping into the first round that then I would definitely consider a Jacoby Brissett type, um, a Gardner Minshew type where it's a, it's a, Hey dude, it's a one-year deal. I'll even overpay. I'll pay you 12 million to come in and you might, you might be the starter for eight to 10 weeks, but we're trying to get the next guy ready. And the offensive line might be a little bit of a problem. So this is why we're giving you a little extra cash, too, because you might get the snot beat out of you. But that's sort of yeah. my thinking with that. If you're going to you're gonna pass up this group for the Marvin Harrison alt, whatever you decide to do at the top of the draft, and, and pick McCarthy in the second round, then absolutely, positively, I don't want Zappi. I don't want Mac Jones. I want someone who started games, who's probably going to start games for me to begin the year as we make that transition.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, look, you, you've you've gone into this stuff a lot more than I have uh, at this point, and And I'm going to defer to you. I mean, I, I agree with you on you. Look, the top three quarterbacks of what I've seen, there's some stuff that I love about all of them. hundred um, percent. You know, Drake May. Drake May is a guy that when when I, when I see him play, he reminds me a lot of Justin Herbert coming out of Oregon. And Herbert was a guy that I missed on. I'll readily admit that because it was a lesson learned. And I think we've seen that a lot, you know, whether it's CJ Stroud, it's uh, we, we haven't factored in, we, we just look at sort of their performance and like you say, like winning games and like, you know, what are their stats in that offense? And then, but did, did we really look at like, was that the best system for them? And I thought the Oregon system was a terrible system for Justin Herbert. I think we all know that now. And it's sort of, tamp down now you know i see that's similar with drake may there are things i love about Jaden daniels i do worry about his build um you know yep. he's he's got short legs skinny legs i worry about him as a dual threat athlete how long he's going to last caleb williams i just think he's a sensational talent and you just ride the wave with that and you're get this these are the newfound athletes you're just going to have to deal with it and find a way to, to relate to them and, and get someone that's in their ear, who's really good and keeps them focused on the right things. But there's a lot to investigate with those guys. I do think there's a big drop off probably to the bottom of the first round for most of the next three. And I think in any event, I think the Patriots should be looking for some sort of bridge quarterback. Like you said, I mean, Gardner Minshew was a guy that I wanted instead of Cam Newton in in 2020. Mm-hmm for this team because I thought he had some good starting, you know, left in him. And I think we saw that this year with the Colts. And I I think he would be a perfect guy. I'm sure Jacoby would be a really good guy. Um, you know, but I, I am not forcing, um, the quarterback thing. I, I definitely learned from that. I know guys, you look at the Packers, Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love, if both of them played right away as rookies, they would have been washed out of the league before they even got started. And so every every quarterback's unique. You've got to figure it out and don't be pressured into playing them if they're not ready and if they don't have the surrounding talent to make them um, – you know a, a success, and like people will be like, "Well, look at Troy Aikman and look at Peyton Manning, who were like you know one in fifteen their rookie seasons." Yeah, but those those guys were also most, both of them were built like you know brick shit houses. Um, yeah, and look, Aikman had the concussion thing that ended his career um, early. So you know you have to be cognizant of that. Uh, last thing, real quick, sort of like an inside baseball thing: Yo soy fiesta. Asked us, uh, Greg. Just curious about something: when the entire staff clears out, how does that impact your job? Are you left with few reliable sources and starting over to a certain extent? Uh, not to get too much into s- specifics, you know. I'll just say this ain't my first rodeo. Um, going <laughs> through this, it was basically an annual basis when I covered uh, covered the the dolphins. Um, it was uh, something that I dealt with. Uh, somewhat with the Packers, the Packers would clean out like the defensive staff. Um, people would come and go, um, you know. And and in general, I just think, uh, you know, it, it 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 certainly you 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 try different things and you you know try to meet certain people and things like that. But at the bottom of the line, the way I've always tried to conduct myself is like I just try to cover the team, um, tough but fair and honest. And like a lot of these guys know the work that you're doing. Um, I know there are probably plenty of Patriots fans who would be surprised at the uh, coaches, front office, things like that with the previous regime, who actually have a great deal of respect for the work that I've done over my career and my, the work that I've done covering them. I know in some pay, places of Patriots Twitter, they'd be like, you're making that up. <laughs> uh, but it's, it, it it's true. And so to me, the job doesn't change with a new staff. You just keep doing it. And, you know, you just, you just try to do good work. And at the end of the day, people normally respect that. And if somebody has a problem with me on staff, like, you know, I try to get in front of them and talk it out. And oftentimes they earn even more respect for you. And sometimes you say, you know what? That was my fault. I got that wrong. That was unfair of me to write that. I didn't check with you. I didn't do X, Y and Z. And that's my bad. And I'm I'm going to be better next time. And those type of things happen. So, I, you know, I don't know about you, Mike, and your feelings of covering a new staff.
1: Yeah, I, you know, what's interesting to me is that... <laughs> I just think it's word of mouth, right? Like you're right. I think they, they, they say they ignore the noise. They're all reading, listening, hearing where someone is yep. and they're getting feedback on that. And sometimes they get the wrong feedback from someone. They hear a little snippet mm-hmm. and this is what gets presented to the, to the coach. And then hey, why did you say that? I'm like, well, well, actually I said this and that was part of it. And Oh, okay. Like now you're able to work things out. I think that if you consistently do good work uh, and, you know, you and I have been around uh, the team for a long time now. You've been around the league for a long time. You know, I obviously spent the last five covering the league as a whole, but still being based here in Boston. Like, I just think that they see, recognize, and like, he's not taking cheap shots by and by and mm-hmm. large. Every once in a while, you, you throw a shot in there when you don't like how things are going. But in general, like, they're fair. And the guys, when they get over sometimes the emotion of being criticized, and they're like, well, he's kind of right. Like, we're not, you know, like there is that moment where it's like, yeah, that was tough that he said that about us. But as I sit back and look at it, it wasn't wrong. So, yeah, it doesn't, we keep doing it the same way. We keep approaching it the same way. Um, And I think the relationships build off of that and continue off of that. Yep.
0: All right, everybody, that was sort of a supersized edition. Thanks, Mike, for coming by. Thanks, sir. Um, appreciate it um, I'm sure the, I always get requests when's you already gonna be back on when's you already <laughs> gonna be back on uh, so it was uh, it was it was good to do this and' we'll, we'll, we'll be doing more sort of during the off season, comparing notes and stuff like that so um, thanks everybody for for tuning in oh real quick I forgot real quick on the uh, if you have any thoughts on the NFC on the championship games so the Ravens are favored by three and a half. The 49ers are favored by seven. Um, I like the Chiefs. Um, I know the Ravens are primed for this. I don't know. They get tight in their took uh at home. <laughs> Harbaugh is tight. He overthinks yeah. things. I think the Chiefs are playing with house money, sort of like the Patriots in 2018. I think Mahomes is just, you know, when he's healthy, I worry about not having Joe Tooney, I think, could loom big. For the Chiefs, because obviously everybody knows that you, Joe Tooney's the greatest offensive lineman on the face of the earth, and uh, so I worry about that. But I just think this is the Chiefs, and I'm not betting against Pat Mahomes. I know Mike McDonald's going to have a good plan, but um, you know I'm not going to bet against Mahomes, just like I didn't bet against Tom Brady. And I actually like the Lions at least to cover the point spread in the NFC Championship game, if not win, because I just think that they are more physical on both lines and I think they're going to embody Dan Campbell and I think they're going to punch the 49ers in the mouth. I don't think the 49ers are good when they get punched in the mouth and neither is Kyle Shanahan. and so I like the, the a Chiefs Lions matchup in the Super Bowl.
1: Yeah, I am like you, even though I'm Team Lamar here I'd like to see Lamar break through. I think it's, he's had a phenomenal year. I think he doesn't necessarily get the respect he deserves as a passer. Uh, the job Mike McDonald's done, like honestly of all the talk about all these different coordinators, he and Ben Johnson, I think Ben's going to be the Washington commanders head coach when all is said and done. But if Mike McDonald doesn't get a head job, a great for Baltimore to get him to be able to retain him for another year. But what is everybody doing? Because he has done a phenomenal job. Players love playing for him. Uh, explains it to them as, and I'm actually writing about this in the notes column, explains it to them in a way. It's very complex, but like, he's able to break it down. The coaches are able to break it down so the guys understand and they're able to play fast. So I'm fascinated by that chess match, but I, I'm i with you. I think Mahomes is just like to be able to go into Buffalo and and uh kind of, I don't know, I felt like they controlled it more Total than control. I think. Yeah, they just like uh, yeah, I think Sean McDermott. The whole thing happened there. I just I can't bet against them. I think, and it's crazy because I and I said this. I think I wrote this in the last notes column. Was the next time that I question whether there's enough around Patrick Mahomes? Stop me before I start because this is like we're in that Brady mode. The same thing where it's looks like oh well I don't know if they have the ta- oh, they're in the Super Bowl again. They're winning a Super Bowl again. So yeah, I, I got Mahomes there, and I. So, to me, Debo Samuel is the other big one. You mentioned Tooney and the injury. Yeah. If Debo doesn't play, Purdy's numbers without Debo, are there's a big difference there. And even though I don't love Detroit's pass defense, uh, I think they've been getting a better rush here late in the year and certainly in the postseason where Adrian a- Aiden Hutchinson has been a freaking beast. Um, I think they cover. If Debo plays, San Fran wins. If Debo doesn't, Lions win nice boil it down all right mike
0: yeah uh thanks for joining us mike uh catch you later buddy and everybody make sure you check out FanDuel and uh check out the 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 options there and uh go bet on the championship games this weekend see you guys